we are in this series, Winning Where It Matters. And through this series, we've had a good conversation because if we're going to win in life, we want to win where it actually matters. Not matters with man, but where it matters with God. When, we come, when it all comes down to it, the Bible would tell us in Revelation that we, we stand before God. We're not standing before man. We're standing before God. And here's the deal about humanity is that the enemy would want to so focus on the ideas of man and the approval of man that we will lose sight of the expectations of God. And when it all comes down to it, we're living in this life worried about what man thinks and completely overlooking what God expects. And so I say with this, if we're going to win inside of life, what we want to do is we want to win where it matters, where it matters with God. We stand before him and it all comes down to it. It's going to be like, what did you say and what did you do? How did you operate? here on this earth. And that ultimately is what we're judged by. So the series we've been talking about, week number one, what is your value system? Because that's going to tell you what you value or where, where your decisions are at, where your actions are at, where your time is at, where your money is at. That's, that's your values. What do you value inside of your life? And week number two, we had a conversation around identity, facing identity crisis and, and resolving an identity crisis. And maybe you're there and like, who am I? What am I? Where? Ah. We talked about the three different stages of identity crisis, and they usually happen in transition. But if you can answer three questions, you always have a resolved identity. And that identity would be rooted in Christ that you can accomplish the mission he's laid out for you. So go back and watch that if you're like, I don't know who I am. All good. Go watch week number two. It'll, be, it'll help you out. Last week, we talked about winning with your family and what that looks like inside of our life. So today we're going to talk about winning in your faith, winning inside of your faith, how to win in your faith. We're going to get up in the grill, so let it be okay. No matter where you're at on the journey, uh, we all have some things that we can work on to get better as we're following Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you guys are, so write this across the top of your paper. You would like to write something across the top of your paper. Title of a message, Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Want to win in your faith? Eyes on Jesus. How many of you guys have ever been in a place in your life where you haven't had your eyes in the right place and it cost you, it hurts you, right? You ever been there? Anybody ever been driving before? And your eyes were not on the road. Okay, ladies, you understand this because there's a lot of road rash on your, at least that's what all the men think, right? We're like, ladies, <laughs> I tell Heather all the time, every time I'm in there, I'm like, oh, I'm gripping stuff. She's like, I drive every single day. I haven't got a ticket in 27 years. What are you so worried about? I'm like, because you're not always focused all the time. <laughs> but she, you know, gripping, ah, watch out for this. But you ever been there? Your eyes weren't on the road and it cost you. There was a time when I was driving and I was looking, I was merging onto a highway, 70 miles on the highway, and I'm on the on-ramp and I'm rolling, rah, I'm rolling, I'm looking back. And for whatever reason, there was a person that was way up ahead of me. I mean, like I'm talking half a mile up ahead of me or whatever it is, a quarter of a mile up ahead of me. They decided to be smart to stop, right? Like right, as right at the merge point, just stop. So I'm cruising along. I'm like trying, okay, get it. By the time I saw it, I was like, ah! I'm slamming on brakes, doing the whole thing. Like, ah! My eyes weren't on the road. I was looking back and I'm not looking forward. And what did it do? It cost me. It cost me a wreck. Now, here's the deal about Jesus and he, uh, for those that he loves. For whatever reason, in this wreck, I hit like frame frame and it just, bam, you know. We, we stopped. There was a Mercedes. We went off on the side of the road and it turned out there was no damage. I was like, there is a God. This is amazing. Uh, it was incredible. But what is it? My eyes weren't on the road, right? We say this whenever we're driving. Keep your eyes on the road. Whenever you're playing sports, keep your eye on the Come on, somebody. Hey. 
You're walking down the road on a sidewalk. Keep your eyes in front of you, right? Keep your eyes ahead of you. It's always funny when somebody runs into something when they're not paying attention, right? You can't help but laugh. There's a lot of memes out there with it. Where our eyes go, our body follows. And here's the deal about keeping our eyes in the right place. If our eyes are on the right things, we'll find ourselves where our lives could be in the right place. Eyes got to be on the right things. If our eyes are a gateway to our heart, they're a lamp to our heart. Where our eyes are, that is where our life will be. Hebrews 12 would articulate this. I'm going to use this as a baseline scripture for us to look at and lead off of inside of this conversation. Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews is articulating this. Since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses to what? The life inside of Christ. Since we're surrounded to the, like surrounded by these individuals, Hebrews 11 talks about the fathers of the faith. These individuals, these incredible men that that lived, these incredible people that lived faithful to their Creator, had actions that represented their their faith, and they lived something in a generation. And, and so it moves on in verse uh, chapter number 12. Since we're cre- surrounded by it, creating the imagery of these fathers of the faith that are now in heaven, and we're surrounded to the life of Christ, what this looks like. Let us do this, what it goes on to say. It goes on to say, surround us with your faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We, um, we do this by what? Keeping our eyes on Jesus Christo. Jesus, right? What is he? He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. What do we do when it comes to like like winning in our faith? The clarity that's given inside of here is you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. But also there's another thing you got to do you got to strip off some things that is holding you back from keeping your eyes on Jesus. you got to take some things off. you got to get rid of some things that you can keep your eyes on Jesus. you got to strip off what? Sin. Okay. Sin. You want a healthy relationship with, with God? That has to be something that is very clear in your language. Sin. How am I missing the mark of God's expectations? That that should be a part of your everyday analysis and, and, and look at your life. How are my words missing the mark of God's expectation? How is my attitude missing the mark of God's expectation? How is my actions missing the mark of God's expectation? Where in my life am I not meeting the expectation of my heavenly father? Because wherever, wherever that is, is where I am living a life of sin. And here's the thing about getting to know Jesus is every life and every season has its own opportunities for sin. The the longer we know Jesus, sometimes we find ourselves in a place just because we look different than we did at one point in time, we believe that we are no longer living in a place of sin. This is where people get religious and very judgmental inside of their life because like, oh, I don't look like them. Well, you know what Jesus talks about? Jesus talks about individuals that showed up to church and were judgmental of those that don't look like them. And I can't believe them. But you have the people that were looking jacked up, tore up from the floor, that were just, God, uh, have grace on me. They were repentant. And Jesus will look at them and say, well, who in this story will be saved? Who in this story has the right perspective? 
And Jesus makes it clear. It's not the judgmental religious individual. It's the individual understands their brokenness. And this is the reality of humanity, that if we want to keep ourselves focused and accomplishing what God has called us to, called out to, uh, called us to do, it's living from this principle and this perspective on where am I at? How am I stripping off the old and stepping into the new? How am I stepping into what God has called me to? How am I living a life that represents Jesus? How am I analyzing and evaluating my life that I don't get comfortable with where I'm at, but I constantly live to say, how can I get things off of me so that I can constantly keep my eyes on Jesus, fulfilling the God-given destiny that he's placed on my life to empower and, and love people and help people come to know Jesus just like I do. They say after five years of knowing Jesus, you're less likely to, to uh, invite somebody to church or to share your faith with somebody because you just become comfortable. You just get comfortable. You know, if you, anybody runners inside of here? Anybody runners, okay? Any runners inside of here, okay? I'm going to ask a further question. Anybody that is a runner, you like running? Okay. <laughs> Let me ask the third question. Any runners in here don't like running? Okay, I'm going to leave my hand up with that one, okay? Now, I run, but I hate running. Like, I start my run, and I'm already thinking about when I'm going to finish my run. Right? If I say I'm going to run two miles, then I'm going to run two miles. Here's the thing about running for everybody else that's not runners, because a whole lot of people didn't raise your hand in here right now. I'm just going to let you know. Okay? When you, I first started running when I was 29. I had a panza, and I was like, Lord Jesus, I need to fix this. Okay? So before I turn 30, I'm going to develop. I'm going to get myself in a running. i got to get in a running shape. What I quickly realized when I started running was my feet felt really heavy. I don't like, I don't like, it feels like my feet are bricks. I'm like, why do I feel like they're bricks? My shoes, I need to get shoes that are like extremely light. These feel really weighty. I was running in, in, in cotton shirts and stuff. Well, here's the deal. Cotton doesn't wick the sweat away, so it weighs a lot more, Right? Now here's the deal. If you ever see a runner and it looks like they're practically wearing nothing, like the stuff they're wearing is paper thin, it's, your, li your eyes aren't deceiving you. It's the reality. <laughs> it's paper thin. Like they're trying to like cut as much weight as possible because when you're running, you don't want anything to feel weighty on you that's going to hinder you from getting to your end destination as quick as possible. And that's the mentality and the thinking that, that Hebrews 12 was trying to articulate inside here. Hey, all this stuff that is weighing you down, you got to get that stuff off because you got a, a, a race to run. You got a place to go. You don't need any of this stuff holding you back, right? Let's run. Let's be about what God has called us to do. Now, Jesus would articulate in John chapter 8 that he is the light. And man, if we're in the light, we'll never have to walk in darkness. This is the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. He is the vine, we are the branches. Man, we're in him. He is the light, lights up our lives. We'll never walk in darkness. If we are walking in darkness, what, what happens inside of life is, if we don't clearly understand the, the reality of what we live in and the world in which we live in, the brokenness of the world and the need of Jesus to illuminate our path, the need of the word to light our, I mean, the, the light of life, to illuminate us. We don't understand that need. What we will do is we'll get caught up in the shiny, shiny pursuit of life. What are these? These are the lures of life. These are the things that will draw us away, right? The sin that he's talking about inside of here is the things that trip you up. Everybody in here has vices. Everybody has theirs. They're the things that trip you up. These things hold you back. And usually these are the shiny objects inside of our lives. 
So number one, if you want to write it down, when our eyes, when our eyes are focused on the shiny, when our eyes are in a place where we're focused on the shiny things of life, the lures of life, what happens is that our hearts usually are rooted in the wrong places. Our hearts are rooted in the sinful when it comes down to it. If we're chasing the shiny objects about life, this is where the enemy gets to step in and say, hey, this is really important. What you wear is really important. But Jesus says, that's not the word. Don't, that occupies the minds of unbelievers. Why worry about it? Jesus feeds the, the birds of the air. Like, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. That occupies the minds of the unbeliever. Worry about following, living a life following. Worry about who you are in me. Worry about that stuff. Don't get occupied by the shiny object. You know there's a whole shiny object syndrome? Like the shiny object syndrome. It's a concept inside a business on, on the individuals that always want something new. But by week number three, they, they've lost their interest in it. And by week number four, it's, it's something onto something new. Anybody got friends like that? This is the new, best, greatest thing. Amazing. A month later, you're like, I thought that was new, great, and amazing. Like, no, this thing is amazing and awesome now too, right? The shiny object syndrome, and we can't get caught in that. The shiny objects, this thing, this pretty, this cute, this little, oh, this lure of life that would lead us away and get us caught up in sin. Now, there's a little fish out there that likes to take this idea of a shiny object. Down in the depths of the ocean, this little shiny thing that's out there. Have you ever seen this? Okay, a few of you guys laugh. Okay. But you know what I'm talking about. There's this little fish out there that down in the depths of the ocean in the middle of the darkness has this ability to illuminate a light right on the end of this, his, hate, his face. And for fish that are down in the depths of the ocean, they see light in the middle of darkness and they start going towards the light. This is best illustrated in, in a movie called Nemo. <laughs> when Dory, right? What is Dory doing? A light! I made it! And you see it inside of this story. You know what the Bible would tell us about Satan? Satan says in 2 Corinthians 11, it says this, but I am not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. He proposes ideas that are contrary to the truth of God's word. What is it? It's like this, this I think it's like black sea devilfish is what, this is another name for this. But it's the luring in to say, I'm going to get you to a place where you're going to be captivated by me and my lies and this perception that I'm going to draw you in. And with that, you're going to take your eyes off of Jesus, who is the source of life, and you'll get your eyes on me, the lure of life. An illustration that kind of represents this is this. If you, if you look inside of this, you, G, uh, the devil wants you focused on the pleasures of life. The devil wants you focused on the, um, what else is it? He wants you focused on the position of life. He wants you focused on the possessions of life. He wants you focused on the pleasure of life. The, the enemy wants you focused in all the wrong places. If you look at the story of Jesus as he was in the desert and the devil came to him, essentially that's what it all boiled down to. It was the position. It was the pleasure. It was the possession that he was tempted with. But all of that brings destruction whenever it's the lure of the enemy that poses himself as, uh, poses himself as an angel of light. It's the lure of drawing in the position, the pleasure, the possessions. This is what I want. I, I just want to please myself. But here's the deal. Jesus says, keep your eyes on me. The Bible tells, keep your eyes on Jesus. 
right? He, he's the author. He is the finisher. He is the initiator. He is the perfecter. This is who he is. Keep our eyes on Jesus. And we got a little stick figure here. Because here's the deal. When we get our focus on Jesus, we get our focus on God, what happens? He blesses us with everything we need inside of our lives. It's a little hand drawing. I know it's all like, you know, really simple. I get it. Brittany, Brittany actually drew it, so it was awesome. It was on my whiteboard. She's like, she drew it out. It's amazing. But it's to illustrate the point. The position, the pleasures, the possessions will be the light that the enemy is drawing you in with. If you get this, you're going to find, you're going to be happy. If you're going to get this, you're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fulfill you. But the reality is that it never will. It's like that, that, that shiny syndrome. You get it and it never fulfills. You get it, never fulfills. It's always lacking inside of our lives. You know, you can find this story in Exodus 32, a story in which Moses will go up on the top of Mount Sinai. Where is he at? He's in a place where he's going to meet with God. You get the people of Israel that have been led out of, out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, and they find themselves in the middle of the desert, and Moses is going up to meet with God. And I, I don't know about you, if somebody's saying, I'm going up to meet with God, I'm ready to hear what he's going to say. But what happens? The hearts of man begin desiring what they want. We want to do something. We want to take possession. We want to take ownership. And the Bible would tell us in Exodus 32, they got frustrated with how much time it was taking for Moses to be up on, the, on Mount Sinai talking with God. What is an illustration of? It's an, it's an illustration of our own impatience inside of our lives. Here we are. We want to see this happen, do this thing. Well, we don't want to wait on God we want to take ownership in this. We need the possessions. We need the pleasure. We need the position. God, you aren't moving. Uh, God, we're, we're trying to use your, your, uh, your way. We're trying to take on character and morality, and, and we're trying to be a person that represents truth, and we're down here just praying and trusting you that you're going to move, but we need to take this into our own hands. And you find the children of Israel getting frustrated with the time and the process. And what happens? They come to Aaron, the brother of, of Moses, that was put in position to take charge at this moment in time. What do they do? We need, a, we, we need something to worship. It's taking too long. He says, hey, go ahead and get all the gold diggers together, all the ladies and the daughters, and get all the gold diggers together and get their gold. I'm just playing, okay? I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> ladies, I'm joking. But Moses says, get all, I mean, Aaron says, hey, get all the gold from the, from the women and the daughters and bring it together. What they do is they bring all the gold together. They melt it down into the image of a calf. And everybody celebrates. This is amazing. They wake up the next morning. They offer these sacrifices. What do they start doing? They start stepping into idol worship towards man-made things. What is the revelation inside of here? When we're, when we're frustrated with the process and the timeline of God, it's a struggle for humanity is that we want to take things into our own hands. And we want to be able to worship our own efforts and endeavors and, and overlook God and his blessing inside of our lives. When we want to chase the shiny, we will take things into our hands rather than focused on God, that God, you would bless us. They find themselves up in a place where this is what God says to, to Moses as he's up on the mountain. He would say to them in, in verse number, let's see here, verse number seven. I love how the Lord says it. He says, quick, go down to the mountain. Or go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. These individuals that were trying to do their own thing and couldn't wait on me have corrupted themselves. Go down. 
Verse number eight says, how quickly they have turned away from the way I've commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You can have in one season praising God, but in the very next season where we try to take ownership, that we will be praising self. Look at what we've done. And we turn it into our own gods. So today, chasing the shiny will never fulfill us. Chasing the shiny takes our eyes off of who our provider is, who the blessing is, who the one that has made the sacrifice. Eyes on Jesus says, man, we get, God, you are a provider. We trust you with our lives. We throw all our petitions towards you. We trust that you are working. Holy Spirit, you are leading us inside of our lives. What you've called us to do, we will do. We're not going to try to take ownership. We want to sit back and allow you to, we we want your leadership. It's the Holy Spirit's leading us out of our lives. We can find ourselves in a place where we can get chasing the shiny, trying to take ownership, and we will find ourselves far, living far less than God's best for our lives. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, we can live a life fulfilled with where he has us today. Number two, I'd say this. When our life is stripped of the sinful, it's easy to pursue the righteous. When our lives are stripped of the sinful, it's easy for us to pursue the righteous. Now I'm going to get into Galatians 5 here. And what are we going to say? We're going to talk about sin. As I said, you've got to get comfortable with the word sin. Just because it's a cultural whatever, a cultural like no-no. In church, we should be very comfortable, especially as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be very comfortable with the word. But sin is a thing that would weigh us down and hold us back. And if we can get that off of us, it makes it really easy to live righteous. Galatians 5 would jump into this conversation to say, this is what we must do. This is how we must live. Galatians 5.24 would say, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Amen. Like these, these desires and these passions, these things that are rooted in the selfish and the sinful and the shiny right of life. Oh, we took all of this and crucified them with Christ. That's what we did there. So that's a part of something completely different. That's not who we are. But sometimes we allow that stuff to, we hold on to that stuff and we justify it. Right? You have anybody that's like a hoarder and they're justifying? It's like, you never know. We could have the depression again. You're like, yeah, you need to offload a lot of stuff right now. You got dead things in here that is stinking inside of here. Like you got to offload some stuff right now. Yeah, you just never know. Apocalypse could happen tomorrow. I need all this stuff. You're like, bro, you need to let go. Let go. Now, I'm not talking about anybody inside of this place. I know nobody's hoarders, but you get what I'm saying, right? We got problems, right? People will justify the brokenness and the challenges of life, hanging on to things that are corrupting them, challenging them, making it harder for them to live and lead. But we justify it. We get comfortable with it. The Bible tells us, strip this stuff off, get, done, get, get rid of it, right? But those that belong to Christ have already done that. They, they've nailed those possession, possessions and the desires of it right there. They put a nine mil in the head of it, right? You're done, buddy. That's a part of an old mentality, old thinking. So it goes on to say in Galatians 5, verse number 19 through 21, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. All sexual sin fits under sexual immorality, okay? You're like, well, what about the other? Sexual immorality is right up underneath there. You get impurity, lustful pleasures. And here's what I want you to do. As I, as I navigate this, just write down what you are struggling with, okay? This is where you want to block your answers. 
You don't want anybody copying off of you, okay? This is where you cover up. You know, if you're taking a test, nobody's copying off you. Cover it up. Okay, you can probably put some interesting things down right now. But here's the deal. It'd much rather be like clear on, hey, Holy Spirit prompts it in your heart to say, ah, you got to struggle there. And say, I'm going to work on it because I got to get this off because I'm running. I got to move forward. Then for you to be like, nah, not me, not me. And you're the hoarder. Right? You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be that person, right? The hoarder, when everybody knows you're the hoarder and you're justifying it. So you got sexual immorality, you got impurity, you got lustful pleasures, you got idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all other sins like these. Good thing he didn't go on the list because we would be here for a couple hours just going on the list of all the messed up things that we do whenever we're living out of a sinful, selfish nature where our desires and our passion have not been nailed to the cross, haven't died with Christ. Let me tell you, he goes on to say that as I have had before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are vices that would hold us back the things that challenge us. As I read these things here today, what are these things for you? What are these things for you? Maybe you've known Jesus for a really long time. And this is where I say you got to get comfortable with the word sin because you've got to constantly be analyzing. Nobody is ever uh, not on the road of sanctification. Sanctification is a lifelong journey of pursuing Jesus where the Holy Spirit can convict us if we are 95 or we're 15, Right? Like we, we have the Holy Spirit that says, man, your words aren't matching. Man, your perspective isn't right. Man, your anger, you got, you got a temper right there. Man, you just verbally assaulted that person. And you, got the ten, you have the conviction to say, man, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Here, these are the vices. The vices that challenges, challenges us from seeing Jesus properly and our lives moving in a direction to honor him. They're the things that hold us back, that weigh us down. They're the things that whenever we're on the journey of life, they're like, oh man, I'm never gonna make it. You're on a one mile run and you're, you're, you're dead at mile number 0.5. You know, whatever. These are the things that weigh you down that you just can't move forward and do it. The flip side of that is there's virtues. There's things that we, we wanna do. It doesn't just leave us in the pit to say, hey, this is a reality and, and you got to stay there. But it says on the flip side of that, Galatians 5, it says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Verse number 16, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. That Holy Spirit guiding your lives, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, right? That's why the Holy Spirit is given to us, right? Here you have the strength necessary. The same power that conquered death, hell, and the grave lives inside of us. The same power that rose, you know, raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives on the inside of us. So we have this ability on a daily basis to confront sin and overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives. The Bible would tell us in 1 Corinthians that there's always a way out from the temptation that's presented. But the Holy Spirit there is there to say, hey, don't do it. It's a shiny object. Man, it's corrupting you. It's going to put you in a place where that, that black sea devilfish is going to eat you up. The angel of light is going to get you, right? It's that, it's that spirit that's at work 
to confront and, 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 and address us. But it goes on, allow that Holy Spirit to lead your life. Verse 22, skipping down to the virtues of this. Verse 22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. When we, when we have the decrease of shiny objects and the increase of the light of the world in our lives, what you will see is there's an illumination of the characteristics and the traits of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, become very evident inside of our lives. What happens? You start to see love increasing and expanding inside of our lives. You start seeing that uh, uh, peace becomes a part of how we operate. We're not individuals that are driven by fear. We're individuals that walk in the peace peace that comes from the Lord. We're individuals that operate from a place of, of patience, which I know is tough for a lot of people. Kindness is flowing out of us. Goodness is the nature of our hearts. Faithfulness is the discipline of our lives. We have gentleness is the flow that we operate in, and self-control is a boundary that we always have at play. The Bible would tell us that there's no law against these things. What is it? It's the taking off of the sinful and putting on the righteous. When we can take off, it's much easier to, to pursue the righteous. How many of you guys, whenever you're sick, you are, are worthless and useless, right? Remember whenever you had the flu? Whenever I had the flu, I literally, I'm, I'm the person that can do nothing, okay? Heather always makes fun of me. I'm like, come on. You're like, you turn into like this little baby. I'm literally like the guys, like the drinks right there. I'm like, uh. <laughs> right? Anybody like that, like me, right? Don't leave me hanging. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I see five hands in here, amen, with me, amen. This sickness, oh, I can't do anything. <laughs> Whenever we're sick, we find ourselves in a really broken place that's really hard to do things. There's a lack of motivation. There's a lack of like desire. There's a lack of like energy oh, because we're sick. Our body's compromised. The same thing would be true inside of our lives when we were sin sick. It's really tough to live righteous. It's really tough to keep our eyes on Jesus. When we're sin sick, it becomes the weight of our lives that we can't move forward. Right? Whenever you like whenever you're sick, isn't it amazing? When you get better, you're like, oh my God, I'm alive again. This is amazing. We're going to clean the whole house. I'm going to mow the lawn. I'm going to clean my car. It's amazing, right? Because you felt what it was like to be in a really tough spot. So you appreciate what it's like to be in a really good place. Same thing's true. When we get that sin out, we lose that sin sickness, and we come alive in Christ, man, we want to do the good works that he has laid out for us. Man, we don't get tired of doing the good works that he has laid out for us. It's what he's called us to do. We don't get comfortable with where we're at. We're always moving forward to say, what could, we need to do more. God, what have you called us to do? The last thing I'll say is this. Last thing I'll leave you with in here. All right, let me, let me give you Matthew 7 real quick. Matthew 7, if you enter God's kingdom, if you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate, you can enter. God's kingdom, only through the narrow gate. This is Jesus speaking. It's red letter. So just so we're clear, this isn't the judgment of a pastor. This is the clarity of the message of Jesus. You can only enter God's kingdom through the narrow gate. That's, it's, 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 it. it's a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad 
and its gate is wide for, for the many who choose that way. That's who we are. If you want to know, I mean, part of our mission as a church is we understand there's a narrow gate. We get it. And we, we understand that there's a lot of people choosing a broad gate, which is destruction. There's a lot of people chasing the shiny objects and finding destruction. We get it. But our church exists, Pearl Street Church, to see unchurched people come to know Jesus Christ is we want to strip off the sin. We want to be focused on the mission. We want to devote our lives. We're going to, we're going to commit our lives. We're going to be individuals. We're not always going to get it perfect. But we will do, we're going to die trying. We're going to do everything in our power trying, right? I said it this way last service. Let me get in trouble with a few other, few other women in here. What are we trying to do? We're trying to get as many people through that narrow gate, just like every woman does on their wedding day, getting into their dress. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Come on, somebody. Come on, ladies with me. Amen. Come on. Come on. You know you buy that dress two sizes small, and you're trying to get in. What are we doing? We're trying to get as many people through that narrow gate, squeezing in in Jesus' name. <laughs> That's what we're doing as a church. That's what we're trying to do. What are we trying to accomplish? We're trying to get as many people through that narrow gate as possible. We're trying to squeeze it through as many people. That's what our church is here to do. People that are lost, people that are hurting, that desperately need Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. Third thing I'll leave you with is this. Where our eyes go, our life follows. Where our eyes go is where our life follows. What does he say, Hebrews 12? Keep your eyes on Jesus. How do you do this? Keep your eyes on Jesus. So where your eyes are, that's where your life is going to follow. If your eyes are on Jesus, naturally, what you live and what you're going to walk in is going to be righteousness. Your eyes are in the right place, focused on the right things. Let me give you three things. Three things to follow Jesus. I'll be quick. Three things to follow Jesus that you need to do is one, it starts in desire. If you don't desire Jesus, it's going to be really hard to put action to follow him. Every relationship that is a good relationship is built out of the sacrifices each one are willing to make for each other. Every single one. The quality of sacrifice, when, when a person dies to themselves and cares for another one more than themselves, their actions follow suit. It's exactly what happens. A quality relationship is built on the sacrifice of each. The same thing would be true with us in our relationship with Jesus. Because we realize what he has done for us, we're willing to sacrifice this, the present, for the eternal. So with that, we get action that follows, right? We're like, let's go. This is where you'll get in James 2 that the, the brother of Jesus would begin to articulate that where, where you see some faith, where you see some faith, you're going to see some action. Let me show you my faith, and I'll show you my actions. Where, where you see my actions, you're going to see my faith. Both are together. You don't get one without the other. You get both. Why? Because there's love in the relationship. There's appreciation. There's, there's an understanding of what has been done. And because of that, there's desire in my life that I'm going to put some action behind it. If I told my wife every single day, although I do sometimes, babe, you need to love me like this. I, I'm a I'm physical touch. Can you scratch my back every once in a while? Can you give a boy a face, you know, face massage? Can you massage my hands? That is my love language. When you do those things, I'm like, girl, you love me so much. <laughs> right? When I get home on Sundays, girl, will you tell me that priest the pain on the wall? Come on. I only do it 95% of the time. It's all good. But, um, but if you had to live a life in a relationship where you constantly had to tell somebody what you expect, 
would you question the self-motivation? You would, right? You would question like, why do I have to keep on telling you to do the bare minimum? Why do I got to keep on telling you to do the basics. It starts in desire. When you have a desire because you understand the sacrifice, you understand the care, you understand the love, there's natural momentum to say, I'm going to do. Your best friends, right? You got somebody out there. Who is your best friend? Who is somebody that you would, you would die for? Who is somebody that's given selflessly, right? Some of you guys would say a friend. Some of you guys would say a parent. Some of you guys would say an uncle or whatever it may be. This person has done something for you that you're like, Oh, man, I love them so much. And with that, I honor them. What comes out of my mouth is honor and love and appreciation because I know what they've done for me. Here's the deal. I buy them the best gifts. Oh, yeah. Why? Because I'm trying to put some action behind my desire, my heart. The same thing is true inside of faith. When you realize what Jesus has done for you, when you realize that you were broken and you were dead in your sin, but God in his gracious love died for you, Nobody has to tell you, right, how to discipline your life. The second thing I say is discipline. First is desire. The second thing is discipline. Nobody has to tell you the discipline. Discipline is this is what I do on a daily basis because it matches my values. It matches my, my beliefs. And so I got some action behind because my desire is rooted in a place to honor. No, I mean, like if you are in discipline, follow me, Jesus, eyes on Christ, nobody should tell you, hey, you need to go to church. You need to be connected to the body of Christ. Hey, you need to be in, in tables connected to other believers. Like you, you, Nobody has to tell you that. I love this statement. Write it down. It's going to change your life. It's an age-old statement I heard this past week by a pastor. I said, man, it's so good. It's this statement right here, that if your Bible's falling apart, more than likely your life is not. It's the discipline of knowing, hey, man, God's word. <laughs> God's word. Think about, think of, think about the, the Israelites in the middle of the desert. God was about to come down writing himself on some tablets, and they got frustrated with how much time it took, so they went and did their own thing. How many times do we get frustrated with whatever God's timing, and we find ourselves wrapped up in shiny things? But his word, he already wrote this. Amen? 48 books, 1,800 years, or 66 books, 1,800 years, 48 authors. Bam! Right here is his words towards humanity, and we can get ourselves so caught up in other things that we will lose sight of this. Discipline. It's discipline. Desire, discipline. Daily things that I do. I lift people up. I encourage people. That's what comes out of my mouth. I'm trying to help people, broken people. I'm trying to find the lost and the hurting and those that are in need. That's, my, that's what I do. I discipline my life to love people in this world. That's what I do. Right? I got the discipline in my life. You want to follow Jesus, you want to thrive in relationship, you want to win where it matters, keep your eyes on Jesus, it starts in desire. You find a, a discipline in your life where you've got a rhythm and you're doing it daily and there's benefits on the other side of it that flow out of it. And with that, the last thing I'd say, the third thing is you've got to put some disciples around you. What do I mean by that? I was going to say put some dope people around you, but it wasn't necessarily religious, but <laughs> put some disciples around you. Put other believers that are following Jesus just like you. Why? Because they can cultivate that relationship. Why do we get baptized? We go into the water, we come out of that water, and that's not private. Because your faith was never meant to be private. That's why. We, we get baptized in front of the body of Christ 
because we're saying, hey, we're agreeing to the same standard of living that everybody else has agreed to and dying to our sin and coming alive in Christ. So if we're acting a fool, can you please do something for us, body of Christ? Can you hold us accountable? That's why you get baptized in front of believers, your church community. That's why there's power in the church community. This isn't just for you, right? It's not good to just check the box on Sunday and then we'll see you next week. That's not the point. The point is to be active and involved and connected. That's why I say inside of here, the five things as an owner inside of this house is you give, you serve, you pray over this house, you invite people with it, and you live a life to represent it. That's how you are an owner inside of this house. That's how we do something great. This is how we don't become into a religious cult. This is where we stay on mission with the cause of Christ. That's how we do it. When you are active in your faith, when you are pursuing Jesus, when your eyes are on Jesus, like that's when we, we accomplish what Jesus called us to do. Not man-made denomination. Man de- not man-made denomination keeps, uh, creates spiritual pride. That's where you get religious Pharisees and Sadducees that are all stuck up and looking down on people because their sin looks different than their sin. That's where you get that. You get a religious cult based out of that. That's why the church is dying. Because you got a whole lot of people that are judging broken people that are coming in, but they were broken when they first walked in. Yet all of a sudden they're judgmental. I can't believe these guys around here. They don't, don't make decisions like I do, you know, dumb, idiots. Well, guess what? You were too. There was once a time whenever God in his grace and his mercy looked at you and said, oh, good Lord. But he saw that you were, you were a part of God's creation and you were worth sacrificing his life for. The Bible tell us he saw us on the cross. He looked into the future and saw us, every single one of us in here, saw us. So you want a, a thriving faith in a relationship to keep your eyes on Jesus, you got to get that desire. Think on these things. Think on things that are true, right, and noble. Get your heart in the right place. Understand you are broken and desperate need of a Savior. That'll keep you humble. And that desire will be there naturally. I'm like, oh, man, I got to do something. My faith, I love God so much. I'm going to be at work. I got to be at work doing his calling. I got to be at work doing his will. Ha, ah, man, I got to get some discipline in my life. I'm doing what God has called me to do. I'm worshiping on my own. I'm reading on my word. I'm reading the word on my own. I'm doing things to live this thing out. My faith is not private. My friends know it. My coworkers know it. I'm sharing the hope I have in Christ. Man, I'm getting people around me. I'm showing up at table. Tables are powerful. Tables inside of our church. If you're not a part of a table inside of our church, there's a running table that can put this metaphor all in practice right now, okay? Everybody show up, even if you're not a runner, okay? It'll be a half runner, half walker table, okay? Roberto runs it, wherever Roberto is. He's over here, he's on our team. Roberto, there he is. Roberto's in there. My man over here is in there. They lead this group for runners. Tables are powerful. Getting in community, disciples around you to build you up and lift you up and encourage you on your journey. You know, one of the individuals that's the framer of the of the of tables, his name is Isaac. And Isaac, an individual that came in our church a couple years ago, and he was suited and booted. He walked in this place. I said, man, I don't know if he's going to, he's going to fit around here, you know. We're a little bit more casual in how we present ourselves at Pearl Street Church, you know. 
But he came in suited and booted. And I remember seeing him here and just thinking, man, God, what are you doing in there? What are you doing in his life? What's going on? You know, basically what's going on in Isaac's life as I talked to him is, you know, over time, he developed a behavior where he began to cope with the issues of life through alcohol. He said he would show up on Sunday mornings. He would go over to the boiler house. He'd hang out at the bar. He'd get inebriated to the point that all of life's issues were suppressed. And then he would get on with his day just completely out of it. Came to a point in his life where he said, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? He kept on driving by Pearl Street Church. He said, man, I'm going to try it. And one day he got up, got suited and booted, and he walked through these doors. It was different than what he expected. But what he came to find out, just because he was broken, didn't mean there wasn't a God that didn't want to put him back together. And he found himself in a place where he gave him his life to Christ. He's on mission now. He's on purpose. What did he do? He realized his sin and said, I'm getting that off of me because I need, I need to keep my eyes on Christ and I need to move forward. And here's a man that's moved forward in the past two, three years now where he stripped off sin, kept his eyes on Christ, and man, his life is headed in the right direction. He's now on team framing up tables. It's a talent that he has in his life and his career towards organizations working for Pepsi and uh, Picante and all these. I mean, he has systems and structures. That's what he does. And now he's investing it into our community that we can have great tables and great community. He's dating a young lady inside of our church and they're probably going to get married. It's amazing what God is doing. But it starts in a place where you're willing to say, man, I'm broken and I desperately need Jesus. I don't know what life you're in or what you're walking through or where you come from or what issues you have, but here's the deal. Everybody's got something you can work on. Everybody's got something. As I've been preaching today, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would be pricking at your heart to say you've got a few areas you need to work on, things that, have, that are shiny objects that you've been pursuing that Jesus hasn't been in the frame of your picture, and today you need to get him back in the frame and start dealing with the shiny objects that have captivated your heart. And I'm praying today is that we would be willing to say, okay, we're going to strip off and we're going to move forward to put on Christ so that we can accomplish what he set out for you. We want to win in our faith here today.